time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. And good well, morning. Well, yes. Good Happy morning, Friday, Michael. St. Louis. It's Hancock and Kelly coming to you uh, as we do every Friday. Uh, I'm Michael Kelly. Hey, buddy, I'm not in studio. How's everything over in uh, St. Louis? Uh, about the same as you left it. Uh, yeah, you're down in uh, sunny Jupiter, Florida. Now, you're joining us this morning. That picture you sent earlier at the horse race track, I guess that was not, uh, you didn't just take that picture, right? No, I uh, just sent you a picture so that you had a little understanding of my weather. Uh-huh. Uh, you told me this morning that you were dealing with snow, so I thought I'd let you see what uh, what I was dealing with. No, buddy, I am uh, right across the street from the ballpark. Um, the Cardinals are getting ready to play today. John, I know you've been down to spring training, but for people who haven't, um, the, the Roger Dean Stadium's in a kind of a, a neighborhood almost, like a little community. Yeah. Um, and right across the street from it is uh, like a little downtown, maybe like a new town almost. Um, and it's got some restaurants and bars. And you can tell the Cardinals are going to play today because that uh, those streets, those restaurants and bars are completely packed. On the days they're traveling up to Port St. Lucie or down to Palm Beach or whatever, John, and the Marlins are playing, You'd never even know there's anything happening over at Roger Dean Stadium. Yeah, that you know that is the the case, and the Marlins have gotten a little bit better here in the last couple three years. Much more competitive team than they were, you know, eight six eight years ago. Uh, but they don't draw particularly well in Miami uh, as it is, and uh, the, certainly not a fan base. I mean, you no. know, what their, their fans are what two hours from Jupiter if if they live yeah. in Miami. Well, and a lot of people down here are Miami fans, period. So it just doesn't get the attention. Now, on the Cardinals' side, it's like a mini St. Louis. I was was at the game yesterday, and uh, I had three different people walk up to me and say, where's your partner? I think people are convinced that you and I spend uh, every waking minute together. Um, Look, I like you, dude, and uh, I can tolerate your politics for a little while. Yeah, yeah. If we were together as much as people think we should be together, <laughs> man, yeah. we would have been divorced by now. Yeah, no, that's not happening. Uh, so when you come in, you'll, you'll be back by Sunday, right? Yeah, I'm going to go see the game today. Um, I'm, I ran into uh, Mike Claiborne yesterday and uh, Tom Ackerman and the whole KMOX crew down here. So I'm going to go over to the game today. Uh, and then tomorrow morning, I'm going to hop on a flight and get back home. Nice. Uh your impressions of the Cardinals so far? Well, so yesterday's game made a particular impression on me, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in our baseball segment. But it, it, nobody was taking any pitches. There were two innings in a row where the visiting team threw, I think, 10 pitches because everybody was swinging at the first pitch. Now, maybe that's a strategy they had today to try something out or yesterday to try something out. But I don't know, John. I felt like we were kind of continuing what went on last year. Now, my biggest impression, Jordan Walker, maybe one of the largest human beings I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, he's he a big fella. Huge. Yeah, he's definitely huge. a big fella. Uh, I saw he got an infield hit yesterday. Cardinals not doing a lot of scoring down there, but it's early and nothing to really worry about at this point. Hey, hey before we go to traffic, one cool other thing I saw yesterday, first time I've ever seen this, a female umpire behind home plate. Yeah. It was awesome, John. I thought, well, that's got to be a first. We were trying to Google and 
see if that was the case, but it was awesome to see a woman uh, calling the game behind home plate. Well, there you have it. I'm sure there's nothing that brings more joy to Michael than seeing a woman. Uh, All that ponytail and thought. How about that? Yeah. There you have it. How'd she do behind the plate? Fabulous. Fabulous. She was calling them right down the middle. There was uh, no troubles, no mochismo that you had to deal with with her acting a fool, yelling real loud. She just... She just called the game like you expect most women uh, in our lives do, John. They're far more patient and tolerant than us. Live and local, this is St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. And you are listening to the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. I'm Michael Kelly. That's John Hancock over there. And just like we do every Friday, this is our normal political segment. We'll take you all the way to the top of the hour where you get the news and then we come back and yuck it up for an hour before we join Amy and Chris. And John, what a week in politics it's been for us again. Uh, While the Republican primary is not completely sewn up, it all but is, and that Donald Trump is the likely uh, nominee and uh, both he and Joe Biden starting to act like uh, general election candidates, both of them yesterday going to the border. There may have been more security on the border yesterday than we've seen in 20 years. Yeah, it was uh, quite a quite a spectacle. You know, this is shaping up to be the longest general election presidential campaign in American history uh, because the primaries are over so early, um, in effect, yeah, because you're right, it, Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee. Uh, Donald Trump spent some time at Eagle Pass, Texas yesterday, a place where Governor Greg Abbott, and he was with the Texas Governor Greg Abbott, uh, has secured with, with barbed wire fencing has actually made an impact. Here's a little bit of what the former president had to say yesterday. Does nobody explain to me how allowing millions of people from places unknown, from countries unknown, who don't speak languages. We have languages coming into our country. We have nobody that even speaks those languages. They're, they're truly foreign languages. Nobody speaks them. A lot of foreign languages out there, Michael. Uh, he, they say he's the one that's got his faculties about him uh, and that the other one doesn't. John, I don't know what the former president was saying there, though, uh, ultimately. But uh, I think at the end of the day, he's pointing out that a lot of people are coming to the border who don't speak English. Uh, and I guess that's a popular uh, thought with many um, in your party. But at the end of the day, uh, we do have legal and illegal immigration going on in this country. Um, I think this man doesn't want to accomplish anything. He uh, is going down there continuing to make this a charade for his campaign, John. But why, you know, he ultimately stopped the bipartisan deal, which unfortunately I don't think we're ever going to see again. Well, the politics of this are interesting because Biden has been hemorrhaging on the border politically uh, for most of his presidency. They did have this bill that was negotiated in the Senate, and it was negotiated on the Republican side by James Lankford, a very conservative senator from Oklahoma. Uh, Chris Murphy and Kirsten Sinema on the Democratic side, and they put this package together, and it was definitely would have enhanced the president's ability to control the border, would have changed some of the asylum laws, shortened the period of time that folks would have to wait. Biden is hoping and banking that that effort will alleviate some of his problems on the border. Here's what President Biden had to say yesterday down in Brownsville, Texas. I understand my predecessor's legal pass today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. 
instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know it's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. So instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done? Let's Clever play there, John. We work for the American uh, people, not the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. Yeah. We work for the American people. Yeah, I mean, it's a clever play right there to uh, say, hey, yeah, I'll even join you. I wonder if President Trump would call us bluff. I mean, I think this is something he needs to make an election issue. And I think he's suffering some of the damage. I don't know how many votes Joe Biden picks up from the fact that the Republicans killed the border agreement. But I think it's definitely taken the teeth out of the border argument the Republicans have, huh? Well, I, I don't know that it has politically. I mean, I, I can I could certainly, from the standpoint of an analyst, look at it and say that that was a good tactical play on the part of Biden to inject himself into this issue and try and minimize some of the damage. The problem, I think, is most people aren't paying attention. And, and the folks that are paying attention are so dug in and entrenched that, you know, I don't think you're going to see much of a public opinion shift uh, for Biden's benefit here. And I think Donald Trump and the Republicans are going to keep pounding on the border and pounding on the border. And the one thing that I do believe is that most Americans believe our border system is fundamentally broken. And um, they're going to be arguing about who's better to fix it. And that's where kind of we are. Well, when Donald Trump's not down at the border in Mexico, um, he finds himself not far from where I'm at here in Florida or in a courtroom, Johnny Hancock, and he's headed to the biggest courtroom in the land. The Supreme Court of the United States has accepted their appeal as it relates to um, uh, presidential immunity. immunity. It will be heard on April the 21st. Probably not at the speed that Democrats would like, but still uh, almost a rocket docket. And the court's going to finally make a decision on whether or not Donald Trump's sole argument makes any sense. Yeah, this is well, and I, nobody, I don't even think Trump's lawyers expect them to win um, on the uh, immunity case. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to say that a president in office can do literally anything and be free from prosecution after they leave office, which is basically the position of the Trump legal team. But what they have done, and, you know, his lawyers have taken a lot of flack out there uh, from people, but I'll tell you what they have done. Um, You may not like it, but they've been very successful at delaying these things. They've got the situation down in Mar-a-Lago with the documents case where they've got a judge that's more sympathetic to Donald Trump, Judge Eileen Cannon, Judge Chutkin in the January 6th case in Washington, D.C., not so much. She was trying to expedite things. The Trump lawyers, though, by playing this uh, this defense for immunity, uh, have succeeded now in dragging this thing out. And the Supreme Court's hearing schedule in April, they don't have to release a decision until the end of this term, which I believe is in the end of June. and Or maybe it's the end of July. I think it's the end of July. That could effectively render the January 6th case unable to begin uh, before the election and probably almost yeah. certainly unable to be resolved before the election. Right. And and so obviously, uh, you know, uh, this is a, a slow process. And I think that anything related to a former president who's running for president of the United States 
should probably be adjudicated at a rapid pace uh, because so much is going to be left in the balance. Having said that, if you really look at the numbers as it relates to all the cases that Donald Trump's in, the process of the courts are working relatively quickly for the prosecution side um, in comparison to what would typically happen. I mean, look, the courts are a extremely slow process. But I think the reality, John, as we slide to November, making our choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump is that Donald Trump will continue to be in limbo as are these court cases. And regardless of whether or not he wins the election in November, I can say with great assurance, he is going to spend the rest of his life fighting court battles because these processes drag on forever but I see a good 20 years of appeals in front of him if he continues down the road the way that he is right now. Well, it's interesting because if he does win the White House, you, you got there's I guess there's kind of three areas of legal peril that Donald Trump finds himself in. You've, you've got these federal uh, criminal charges. And if he wins the election and if he succeeds in delaying the January 6th case and the Mar-a-Lago case, those are the two federal indictments. Uh, he can simply become president and fire the special prosecutor, and that's effectively those cases are done. He could pardon himself in theory, although that would probably have to be adjudicated. So those cases effectively could be done. The second area of cases are state criminal cases. That's the case in Georgia uh, on the election situation there. It's also the case with the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels in New York. That trial begins this month. Those are state-level criminal cases. Uh, the president has no ability there to pardon himself, and those are going to play out, maybe, although the Georgia case is somewhat in limbo because of Fonnie Willis and her dalliance with her prosecutor there. And then the third area of cases are these civil cases. That's the New York fraud case right now that Trump's got about a half a billion dollars of uh, exposure, and he's going to have to come up with collateral to cover that cost uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then the earlier E. Jean Carroll case, also in New York, the defamation case, where uh, that now is under appeal and Trump's got uh, an $88 million exposure there. So that's the three it's levels. It's just absolutely absurd. When you lay it all like you do, just like you did, it took you almost a minute and 30 seconds to go through all the court cases. It's absolutely absurd that this man is the front runner for the Republican Party. Well, but he is, <clears throat> and he's winning primaries, yeah. and uh, and he's going to be the Republican nominee for president, and he could win. Yeah. Okay, so we we got to move away from Trump because we're about to run out of time here, but I have to ask you about the fact that Mitch McConnell announced that he's going to step down as the Republican leader of the Senate. Hell, I feel like he's been there for three decades. Uh, this is going to be a major sea change inside the Republican Party. Number one, what is in the resignation and number two, how do you see this uh, political war s settling out on the Republican side? Well, it's going to be really interesting because there's so many between retirements in the Senate and all of these seats that are up in 2024. The voters, the Republican voters who are going to select either the minority leader or the, or the majority leader, depending on how the majority shakes out after the election, the electorate for that <clears throat> next leader is not set by any means. So you're going to have you know, potentially a whole wave of new uh, senators. <clears throat> but I think looking at it right now, you, you've got the three Johns. You've got John Cornyn of Texas. You've got uh, John Thune of South Dakota, who I think 
would be the most McConnell-like of the three. And then there's John Barrasso from Wyoming, who's the most Trump-like of the three. Uh, one of those three is the most likely, but, you know, things can definitely change. I don't see John Cornyn being some middle-of-the-road Republican that would be the compromise there. He seems to be extremely Trumpian. I, look, I mean, if the standard recipe inside what we used to know the Republican Party was, it would be John Thune. But I guess in the world that we're in today, Josh Hawley or any of these people could wind up being the leader. Well, we're going to find out. The news is next right here on KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. And good morning, St. Louis. It is Hancock and Kelly. And for our regular gig, we'll go for the next hour. We'll join Amy and Chris for a little bit. Don't forget. Every Sunday morning at 8.30, you can see us on Fox 2 in St. Louis for Hancock and Kelly, the TV show. And, uh, John, we'll be celebrating a significant milestone on that day, Chef, would we not? Yeah, my dog Gus uh, just turned nine years old the other day. Uh, he's, uh, How awesome is that? He's we will be celebrating there. Gus. You're going to want to tune in to see that. Uh, uh He's not telling the truth, but don't worry. I'm not going to let him get through this whole hour without us talking a little bit about it. But, dude, you've got to help me out with what's going on. So, all right, uh, have, a seat, have a seat ran, on the have a seat on the couch, Kelly, and tell me your yeah. Problem. You and I both ran our individual political parties for a short period of time, and we both have gone through filings. Yeah. Earlier this week, we had the filing open for all the uh, positions inside the state of Missouri that people could go and apply for. So everybody. Goes down to Jefferson City, lines up, goes over to the party, pays their filing fee, and then goes over to the Secretary of State and registers. And uh, you Republicans supposedly got a little surprise on somebody who registered for governor, someone who is, um, I guess he's a self-proclaimed KKK uh, sympathizer in pictures with Nazi flags. And believe it or not, he's also in pictures with Jay Ashcroft. Two questions for you. Number one, what happened? And number two, why are these types of people attracted to the Republican Party? Well, I think uh, odd people are attracted to politics uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh, it is not unusual for folks to stroll in off the street and hand over a check for 500 bucks or 250 bucks, whatever the filing fee is for that particular office and file to run. And this guy... Uh, you're speaking, I'm assuming, of Daryl Leon McClanahan II, who is, I wasn't even going to say his name. Yeah, uh, well, he's uh, presently he's the uh, first named candidate on the gubernatorial ballot on the GOP because yeah. those names are drawn at random uh, in place. Yeah, and it's interesting that when you submit that you're we're going to run for governor, you to I guess show your bona fides, you submit pictures of one of the people that you're running for governor against, Jay Ashcroft. I mean, what? What I mean, what is going on here, John? Well, I think Mr. McClanahan is not a serious candidate for governor. I don't expect he's going to amount to much. And I suppose there is a pathway for the GOP to deny him ballot access. But that's a that's a tricky little situation as well, because the party's role in this process is largely administrative. They receive the filing fee and they place the guy's name on the ballot and um you know, if you if you begin to allow the political parties to exclude who can file for office, I think you potentially run yourself afoul of 
the Constitution. And so um, I don't know that it's going to be a simple matter to to remove his name from the ballot. And certainly there have been <laughs> any number of odd candidates that have filed for high office in the state uh, yeah. over a very long period Good of time. Point. So it's it's not unique to the Republican Party in terms of weird people coming out and applying. There's a guy in Missouri that used to apply on the Democratic side all the time. His name was Chief Wana Doobie. Chief Wana Doobie, um, I remember him well. He uh, he actually had his name legally changed to Chief Wana Doobie, and he uh, appeared on a number of ballots for high offices. And sometimes these extraneous candidates that file, uh, some of them are perennial. They file every you know, two years for something. Chief Chief was close to that. He had, he had applied several times. Yeah, yeah, no, he was he's been he was wanting doobies for a long time and uh, never mm-hmm. never got nominated. But occasionally, one of these folks slips through. We had a guy uh, when I was the executive director who filed for state auditor. Never heard of him before, uh, but he had a pretty common name, and uh, you came to find out after filing that he had, was a convicted felon for for bank fraud. And he was running for a state auditor. He ended up winning the Republican <laughs> primary, and we had oh, to, and we ended up having to disavow him. And that was uh, that was the election that saw Claire <laughs> McCaskill getting elected state auditor because she was running against this guy uh, who was not a serious candidate. On the Democrat side, they had a candidate that would. It was a truck driver. His name was James Askew. And uh, he filed. Uh-huh. He filed every four years for Secretary of State. One year, he actually was the nominee, and he ended up running against Roy Blunt in the general election. So it does happen where you get these yeah. uh, candidates that you know. And for some of these offices, a governor's not one, but for some of these offices that people don't pay a lot of attention to, um, the the odds of one of these gadfly candidates getting nominated is not zero. Uh, for sure. Right. Because so, so few people participate in the primaries. And then sometimes, you know, you're going to vote on maybe a particular issue inside the city of St. Louis that you pulled the Democratic ballot. And all of a sudden you're faced with, you know, four people that are running for the secretary of state. And, you know, one of them name his name is, uh, you know, uh, John Kennedy. And you think, well, I'll vote for that guy. And you'll later find out that that particular John Kennedy uh, is up to some weird stuff, et cetera. But that's not the only games that gets played with these ballot names. Uh, uh, obviously, you remember, Jay, uh, John, I used to work for Congressman Gephardt, and yep. you Republicans had dug up <laughs> somebody, Dick Gephardt, one of the more powerful people in Congress at the time. You all dug up somebody who had almost the exact same name as Dick Gephardt, but his last name had a B rather than a P. It was a Gephardt. And you all filed him as a Republican. I remember that. That was before my time. But, yeah, was, the guy's name was Gebhardt, and uh, he was running against Gebhardt. And those games definitely get played. You guys have some interesting stuff going on in your governor's primary. So you've got the state yeah. the state so, senator uh, or state rep, I guess she is, Crystal Quaid. Yeah, she's the Democratic leader, Crystal Quaid. Yeah. In the state house. and then But there's this another guy who's gotten a little bit controversial by the name of Hamra. What's going on there? All right, so Mr. Hamra is from, uh, they're both from Springfield, believe it or not. Crystal McClade and, and, and Hamra are both from Springfield. They both uh, submitted the run for governor. Hamra, kind of a wealthy self-financier, been out raising money. Crystal Quaid being the face of the Democratic opposition in the House. 
there was some questions. I guess Hammer had recently moved to Missouri, and then one of the previous uh, elections had voted in Chicago. So there was the pressure being put on the party to say, hey, no, don't accept their his filing because he hasn't been uh, or met the certain, you know, the, the requirements to be able to apply for this ballot. And uh, Russ Carnahan kind of put into a tough spot for a little while. He took the submission and they went and filed. It was a less perilous situation than what you're all dealing on the Republican side, but kind of reflective of what happens in these games, particularly in primaries when people aren't paying attention. So is this Mike Hammer going to be allowed to run then? As a Democrat? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. I mean, I, I think he meets the requirements. It, it doesn't seem to me to be warranted of uh, the attention it's getting. Having said that, uh, we'll wait and see how it all shakes out, John. I mean, look, it's an uphill battle for the Democrats in the gubernatorial race. Uh, there's going to be two things that need to happen. Number one, the stars have got to line up absolutely perfect. And there has to be a massive sea change on a couple of issues in Missouri for, for, for Democrats to be back where we were. But there is still an outside chance, particularly in today's crazy world that changes by the moment, uh, that a Democrat could capitalize on uh, a, a moment-like issue and, and sneak into that office. Well, if by outside chance you mean the likelihood of a volcano eruption affecting us here in downtown St. Louis, then perhaps you're onto something. I I don't think there's much of a chance that the Democrats are going to prevail in any state. Oh, come on, John. Race. I mean, you guys have some of this antiquated stuff going on. Uh, I mean, the abortion, you're so out of touch as it relates to that. Uh, the ideas of, uh, of really trying to stifle the voice of the people in, in Jefferson City, Eventually, Missourians who identify as Republicans, particularly those in the suburbs, are going to wake up and start to realize, wait a minute, everything I'm voting for seems to be overturned by the people that I'm voting for. Um, and I think that's a problem that the Republican Party faces with under these supermajorities and the rise of this far right. Your, your whole party is getting painted by this freedom caucus and these extremist ideas around embryos and abortion, etc., Hope is a powerful emotion, Michael, and I'm glad to see you're clinging on to some there for the Missouri Democrats. Appreciate that. When we come back, well, things are getting smaller out there. I'm going to break it down for you and help you out a little bit right here on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference, on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, so, uh, John, as I'm, I'm out of town down here. That's and, hard to uh, believe. Enjoying Cardinal baseball. Uh, going to be going to the game here in a little while. I think first pitch is around 1 o'clock. They start the national anthem every day at 1 o'clock sharp. So uh, that's noon your time, John. We're, we're about an hour ahead of you. So I'll yeah, be yeah, uh, thanks, buddy. scampering over to the ballpark uh, this afternoon. Kind of surprising. You know, I haven't been to spring training in almost, uh, well, when was the last time you and I were here? Eight years ago? No, it was more recent uh, than that, but uh, it's been a while. Well, but I hadn't been in a while, so uh, maybe these first couple of games don't fill up the way that uh, I remember it. But uh, I'd say there's about 80% of the seats are full. There's still tickets available. So uh, I know a lot of people have been texting me saying, hey, they're getting ready to start their vacation down here. Am I going to be around? Uh, so I'm sure St. Louis will continue to flood oh, yeah. uh, Jupiter, Florida. But I'm down here with a couple buddies of mine. And so we ran over to uh, the local grocery store. And, you know, 
John, being single and living the life that I do, I really haven't uh, noticed uh, or felt, maybe that's the better, the the impact of the changes of inflation, et cetera, at the grocery store that, that, that say, a family would because it's, it's just me, dude. You know, I'm usually just buying a turkey sandwich and, you know, an apple and, and moving on my way. But this week, Sounds I've awful. spent a little bit of turkey time. Turkey sandwich in and an apple. Yeah, I've spent a little time in the grocery store, dude. And it's occurred to me, like, there's some major changes happening in the grocery store. First of all, dude, everything is getting smaller. Everything. So I like these bubble waters. Um, I think they call them seltzers. Yes. Um, Seltzer water. You know, I like them. And they have a 12-pack, you know, that's $3.99. Well, I came down. I'm going to get that. That 12-pack's now an 8-pack. Oh, there's a price cut. It's three fifty nine. So they went from a twelve can uh, water to an eight can, reduced the price by twenty thirty cents. But good lord! And then, so as I was starting to think about this and notice all this, you're not going to believe some of the stuff that uh, that's going on out there. Did you know that Gatorade? Used to be thirty two ounces, and now it's twenty eight ounces. I did not know that. you've done a little. Uh, you've, you've done a little research, have you? Well, it really aggravated me that when I was at the grocery store, I'm like, "What is this?" I, I got a bag of chips, uh, you know, and it said family size. We opened it up, and there's three people. It wasn't enough to 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 have with one sandwich almost. Well, you know, it, the it families just, are getting smaller out there. Uh, people aren't having yeah. as many kids, Michael, and so you get the family size. You know, you don't need to feed six, seven, eight people anymore with the family size. Uh, two or three will do. Yeah, but I, I I guess, but I mean, have you noticed this stuff? And look, I know everybody wants to blame it on inflation and things are costing more. Of course, it is. But no, this isn't inflation, dude. Going from twelve cans of water to eight cans of water and reducing the price 10 cents that has nothing to they, just to retool their equipment to make 12 eight can boxes rather than 12 cans had to cost as much as apparently they think they're making by doing this well look i mean it's a direct result of inflation yeah the prices are going up people don't like to see the prices going up so they're taking the amount of product that they're selling and they're reducing the amount of product they're selling and they're then reducing the cost and the providing, I'm sure the margins are probably the same. Maybe the margins are even a little better with the reduced amount of, of product out there. But you know, you see the same thing at, at, uh, at restaurants. I mean, I, I'm convinced that a lot of these fast food places are scaling back ever so slightly on the size of the burger or the, the amount wait a of minute, fries. wait a minute, wait. So you're saying you think they're shrinking the size of the Big Mac? I do. I do. Really? Yeah. I mean, not, I that, not that I, not not really that I a... eat a lot of Big Macs or anything, but uh, yes. And let me just tell you, not that you get a lot of, uh, pick up a lot of tabs, because um, <laughs> I think the most recent fast food you and I got together was one that I picked up. Chick-fil-A. probably be a concern. Yeah. And... I didn't notice a scale back in the size. No, no, not uh, Chick-fil-A, buddy. Uh, let me tell you, that company no, okay. that company is humming out there. Uh, I'm just saying uh, I may or may not have, you know, wandered into a fast food place or two over the last, I don't know, several months. And uh, I have noticed that perhaps the size of the product that I once consumed is now. Uh, it's also possible, I suppose, that I've just gotten bigger myself. 
And so what yeah, well, the, the same size burger yeah, it might issue. seem smaller now that I'm, you know, there's more yeah. of me to feed. But now listen, I guess a place that you could see the, the, the shrinking is, could you imagine if they shrunk the size of the burgers at White Castle? I mean, what would they be about the size of a quarter? I don't know. Um, You've just said something that's got me thinking. Hmm. Yeah, you want White Castle? I'm thinking about it. The problem with White Castle, yeah. and I love White Castle. You get the the onion, yeah. you get the pickle. It's maybe the perfect yeah. pickle. It's the best. Yeah, uh, but it is a two day commitment with the White Castles. So, you know, John, I'm glad you bring that up uh-huh. because I too love a White Castle. Down in the South, they have a place called Crystals. Yeah, K R Y S T A L S. It's on the exact same thing. Yeah. And I love it when I go, when I'm down south or whatever, I go, oh, okay, I'll cheat. I'll have this stuff. But you're right. You you, you don't know what you're signing up for 24 hours from now. Yeah, uh, what are you, you bringing could, me back, you by the way? You could be wanting to go to the movie or play golf, and you could be utilizing the restroom most of the what are you What are you bringing back for me when you when you return to St. Louis? Um. Well, I um, was going to hope to get a foul ball today yeah. um, for you. Otherwise, uh I noticed that at the pretty, end of every game, generous. Matt Carpenter eats a uh, eats a banana, yeah, and he discards his banana peel on the way out of the dugout. Uh-huh. And I think I was going to ask, uh, say, "Hey, my buddy's birthday's coming up. Yeah, could I have that banana peel?" Uh, so He'd thoughtful. Really like that. I, I just can't even yeah. imagine how thoughtful that is. Well, uh, regrettably, we're out of time for this segment, but the news is next. We're going right. to find out what's happening in town and across the country and all around the world. And then Michael Kelly and I will be back after this on KMOX. Dive into all things Cardinals on Cardinals Conversations, your go-to location for exclusive content from KMOX. Catch it on the Odyssey app or your favorite podcast platform. Stay connected with your team. Cardinals Conversations, where the Redbird talk never stops. All right, listen up to this, man. Uh, we are about to experience something that's not going to happen for another 200-something years in Missouri. Cardinals are going to win the World Series. Well, one would hope. Uh, and, of course, the academics are really excited about this stuff, and they're trying to play this off as you should be into this too. But have you? Do you are you familiar with what a cicada is? Yeah, it's a, like a locust. They come out every, you know, yeah. so many years. It's like a locust, uh, like grasshoppery thing that shows up, and they make a lot of noise. They're loud, these In things. In fact, yeah, they squeak their legs together uh, or their wings together. One cicada can make enough noise uh, uh, that's similar to one lawnmower. What? Uh, over that can't possibly be cicadas... True. Working in unison could be louder than a jet engine. That's coming from the University of Missouri. Who's telling us that you're telling me you're telling me a hundred bugs can make the sound of a jet engine? That's what they're saying. Well, that can't that can't possibly be true. These are you know they what what are the academics? These are people they sit around. A hundred cicadas cannot make the same noise as a jet engine. I'm just here to tell you. Well, no, 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 they can't make the same noise, the same decibel of noise, John. They can hit the same loudness. What the heck are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Cicadas. Four, three, six, seven, nine hundred. How can how can a how can a bug, or even a hundred bugs, make the the same decibel sound as a jet engine? But listen to this. These bugs are weird. Cicadas are weird. They're they're maybe Hancocky, and uh, yeah. one might say yeah. uh, they come back at weird. Okay, so 
there's two versions of these cicadas that are going to appear. There's the ones that are on the 13-year life cycle. All right. And then other ones that are on a 17-year life cycle. So you got the 13-year. And so both the, and the 13 and the 17-year-old life cycles are mm-hmm. all going to emerge at one time in the Missouri area. Listen to this doctor from Kansas City at University of Missouri Extension class, Tamara Riel. She says, it will be crazy. Go out and enjoy it. What in the world? So so if you got a cicada that comes out every 17 years, and you got yeah, another right. cicada that comes out every 13 years, uh, that's right. both of those being prime numbers. <clears throat> uh, huh, never thought of it that way. So they don't, they're not divisible, which means that uh, if you were on a 17-year cycle with, with Locust A, Locust B over here is on a 13-year uh, cycle. That means they don't hit the same cycle, except for one time, according to my math, every 221 years. Is that right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that means, yeah, that's exactly that means right. it's been 221 years since these Locust A have come out with Locust B at the same time, which means if you go back 221 years, you're talking about 1803, which was the year of the yeah. Louisiana Purchase. Wait, in this country, you just gave me an idea. You just gave me an idea. Okay, so we know that these locusts are coming back for the first time in 200 and something years. Wow. Couldn't we do something as a favor to our future um, descendants from 200 years from now? Hear me out. Okay. Here's what happens with the cicada. The cicada comes up. It will have, they'll emerge this summer. Where do they, they come from? They will shed their skin. What did you say? Where do they come from? They come from the dirt. They'll shed their skin. The men are the ones who make all the noise. Of course. Uh, They're doing that to attract the woman. The woman is attracted to the loud noise. Hmm, You've been been following that advice for a number of years. Yeah, exactly. And so then they'll uh, mate. The woman will lay the eggs on top of tree branches high above. The wind and other stuff will knock the eggs down into the ground, and they'll go get planted to start this 13 to 17-year cycle. So if we know this is the case, yeah, shouldn't we figure out a bunch of bug spray and we all just go out and spray the ground this summer, and we could end the thirteen and seventeen year old cycle of the cicadas and, right and there. deny our and deny our ancestor, not our our, our successors out there from ex- enjoying what we're about to experience. Yeah. Do we have a caller, James? Uh, we do not have an expert caller. Well, I was hoping. So- Yes. Some Michael Sean Kelly in the future, he'll be able to say, "Man, it's awfully quiet." Yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think you can ago. kill something before it's born. That uh, would be my. That would be my thesis well, on this. I thought so, you said we weren't going to talk. I thought you said we weren't going to talk the Alabama controversy. Yeah, about. no, no, no. You got the cicada <laughs> in the ground there, but it's not really a cicada yet because it has. It's you know, it's a whatever. But now that's an interesting. It's a, point it's a larva, I believe. Huh. Can you imagine living 13 years in the ground like that, just to come up and squeak real loud in the hopes that you can find a mate and die? Well, it sounds like there's going to be plenty of them. Who? Cheryl. I think Cheryl. May, we may have I found an expert, Michael. Let's go to Cheryl. You're on Camo X. Thank you for your help this morning. Well, I could be wrong, but hmm. back in 2011, I moved back to St. Louis, and we had the same thing with the 17 and the 13-year cicadas and it was horrible there in certain areas and and it would fly around hit you in the face and in the face there were shells all over the base of the, a lot of tree trunks yeah. and but so i don't know why that's so 
That All right, Cheryl, let me, let me, ago. yeah, yeah, that 2011, I remember the locusts in 2011, they were bad out there, okay. you're right, they were yeah. but here's the thing, that was not, that was not the convergence of the 17 year and the 13 year, that was just a, that was just your average run-of-the-mill locust infestation, so. so why was it so, wor- why was it, wor- because it was 13 years or something, I, I don't yeah, know. I mean, they're bad regardless, what we're saying, this, this new stuff's going to be epic. Right. This biblical. is going to be almost biblical, Cheryl. Uh, so it's In fact, Pharaoh's liable to let people go from. I mean, this is not. This is going to be. Uh, Cheryl, thank you for your call. But but she's right. The 2011 was bad, and she is also right. They do fly around and hit you in the face, man. And I, I mean, think about this, Michael. You're we're going to be out there walking around, and bugs are going to be hitting us in the face. Boom, pop, boom, boom. Dude, it's one of the the fastest growing protein in the country. You know, like these. These muscle men that, that, that do this working out and they yeah. they do protein shakes and yeah. stuff. Yeah. The fastest growing protein is cricket protein. Oh come on! And what they do is they take these crickets, they birth them, and then they dry them out and grind that up to a powder. And people are eating that. They're eating protein. crickets. Crickets. So if crickets have so much protein, yeah. Um, why wouldn't a locust have a ton of protein? Well, I mean, they, they didn't. these suckers up and grind them up. Well, I mean, if you read your Bible, you know, John the Baptist was out there eating the locusts. So, I mean, they are edible. Um, but you're not going to catch me eating a, a locust, and you're not going to catch me. Did they me... behead John the Baptist? They did. Yeah, and they give him to who? Pontius Pilate? His, uh, no, uh, that would have been uh, Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife. Uh, or uh. The, yeah. So, um, but there, there you have it. But that's uh, that's a story for another day, Michael. Uh, we need to turn our attention away from these cicadas that are going to be a massive inconvenience for all of us this summer in May and June. And when we come back, the other thing that's going to be hopefully more appealing in May and June, we're going to talk a little Cardinal baseball. Michael Kelly live from Jupiter, Florida. Me sitting here in Studio B at the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. News, talk, Sports, the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. And it is the Hancock and Kelly show on a Friday. Uh, we'll be joined by Chris and Amy here shortly, so stick around for that. We go down to the phone lines where Terry joins us. Terry, welcome to KMOX. Your thought. Hey, good morning. Um, a couple of Saturdays back, I was coming back from a workout in karate. I'm 77 years old. And it was after 12 o'clock, it was 1 o'clock, haven't had lunch yet, decided to go to McDonald's for a chocolate shake, just a quick picker-upper. Drove in $4.95 for a basic chocolate shake. Dang. Dang is right. Must have cicadas in the damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) Four dollars. Well, we got you, Terry. So you're, you're 77 years old. Did I get that right? Right, and you're uh, and you're taking karate. Are you what? What's your belt level? Uh, third degree. Third degree. Hey now, that's a wow. In other Four words, I had those burns once before. <laughs> so are you at third degree? You're probably are you teaching the class? Or are you just uh, take- uh, oh, at times uh, I've been doing this for twenty years, and I belong to several karate groups, and uh, uh, I keep active. Yeah, been you do. some challenges in my life, and that's what's made me uh, keep this. Even though I did not want to go into karate, I went through karate 
<clears throat> walked into a bakery shop one day, and it turned out to be a dojo in store. Instead, it was next door to the other one in on Bellevue Park Plaza in Belleville. And so here I am, twenty years later. And the rest is history. Terry, the third degree black belt karate, he's kicking, he's breaking boards out there, he's taking the palm of his hand and smacking stuff. He's breaking through concrete. It's unbelievable what Terry has done. Terry, thank you, sir. Have a, have yourself a great march. Keep kicking those boards out there. All right, enjoy your show too. Thank Wife and I watch y'all, listen to you all the time. Well, thank you so much. You yeah. know that reminds John, me, Michael. You, <clears throat> John, we go ahead, finish your thoughts. Well, it reminds me of my brush with the martial arts. <clears throat> yeah, you tell tell the good people that you took your little youngster to go be a karate guy because he was going to be a tough guy, just like his daddy, right? Well, I, my father-in-law, who was a boxer um, and very well, very healthy, strong guy. And uh, when Junior was little, he thought, man, it'd be a good idea to get him into the martial arts, you know? And so we had uh, Master Rowe just up the street from us there, had a little studio and Decided on a Saturday morning that we were going to introduce young John Jr. to the to the wonders of karate or taekwondo, whatever it was. I can't remember. I had uh, I had been on the road and I'd just gotten home about two o'clock in the morning uh, from a event in Joplin, Missouri, on a Friday night. And I get oh, home, Lord. I wake up, and uh, Georgian tells me, "Well, remember, we're taking Johnny to karate today." And I said, "Okay, all right, that's fine. I'm tired." <clears throat> we get there. And uh, you got to first, you got to buy the little outfit, you know, the white thing with the pants and stuff. Uh, and then I'm, I'm just kind of sitting there, you know, uh, looking at my phone. And uh, Master Rowe comes over and he says, you know, karate is a very good father-son activity. And I thought, like, I didn't catch that. And I, right. And then he says, little boy, would you like your father? To join you in in first day of karate, and Johnny says yes. <laughs> so I said no, oh I, I, you know. Really, next thing I know, uniform, uniform. So that now they got Ooh. me. I'm wearing the little white thing with the white belt and the white pants, and they're standing out on the mats out there with all these other kids and their parents. And uh, out comes the instructor, and uh, he's speaking. <laughs> uh, he's Korean, and. Uh, Right. And a lot of these people I'm gathering have been in this class for a while. So he says, okay, we start off, everybody, let's do 25 push-ups. And they're counting their hutta, hita, hita, hunta, <laughs> counting their push-ups. And I'm like, two, three. one. It was not good. Now we roll over and we do 50 sit-ups. And they're hunta, hita, hunta. And they're going, I, can't, I mean, I can't even. I can't even do thread. And we go through the whole, I'm sweating in my little, it's horrible, Michael. And, uh, uh-huh. and then, so then we have to pair up and you can't pair up with your kid cause they're, you know, he's little. So you got to find somebody roughly your size. I got a woman, Uh-oh. I got paired up with a woman who her husband had obviously been cheating on her for the last several months. She proceeded to beat the living crap out of me. <laughs> And uh, it was it was unbelievable. That was my so unlike our caller Terry, my martial arts career lasted approximately forty five minutes. So hey, uh, can I execute a moment of personal privilege here on the Hancock and Kelly show? If you must, I am coming back to St. Louis. Yeah. To join you for our television show on St. Sunday, Sunday morning, but also in celebration of your sixth the start of your sixth decade on the planet 
my friend is going to be 60. And John is uh, your best friend. Let me tell you, you don't look a day under it. Uh, so uh, I know most of us wish you a, a very happy birthday. Um, I got to tell you, man, uh, I, I didn't think you'd make it. Um, and here you are. So uh, happy I haven't made it yet. I still got about 30 hours to go. Uh, so you just never know what's going to happen. Is there any special plans? Like, are you and George Ann going out to dinner or anything? We're doing a trip. So uh, we're going to take a trip together, and just the two of us. So that's that's my birthday present. So, uh, so well, good for you. Yeah, we're going to be going to, to snooker over in England. Yes, right? we are. Yes, we are. And that's, uh, that's next month. We depart on that little journey. Uh, but uh, for the birthday itself... Uh, my daughter, daughter, and son-in-law and granddaughter have invited us over to their house for a special birthday dinner, and I was just FaceTiming with young Tula this morning, and uh, yeah. her her mommy is teaching her how to say happy birthday. So we'll see how that uh, how that develops. Oh, that's so. Cute. She's got the happy well, down. She's got the happy down perfectly. Uh, but the so birthdays. I don't know what what your relationship to age is in terms of like I keep thinking like oh suddenly I'm the old person, but um, in, in reality though, man, it, it, the, the thought of turning 60, like, you know, you, you're just a couple of years away from social security. Is that messing with your head or a little bit? Yeah. A little bit. Of, well, it, because I'm still yeah. doing what I was doing when I was a kid, I'm still doing politics for a living. And right. you know, when I got involved in politics originally, I was just a kid. I was 13 years old. I was knocking on a cute little kid, you know? And then when I started running for office, I was always the youngest you know, I was the youngest state representative. I was the youngest statewide candidate. I was, the, you know, I was always the youngest everything. And now, as, as a political operative, politics, as you know, is such a young person's game. And, you know, yeah. it's, the, it's the kids that do all the hard work and the, on the ground and the door knocking and the putting the signs out. And, uh, and, and a lot of kids end up running campaigns in their 20s, yep. you know. And now... You know, we have these campaign meetings, and I'm usually the oldest guy in the room. So that's yeah. been – that's been, but I've been noticing that for a while. But, yeah, 60 – you know, I don't so, worry too much about numbers, but 60 is kind of a big number, I will confess. It's uh, – See, here's where I'm, I'm mostly concerned. Like, there's age milestones you have. Like, I remember when I started to realize, oh, my goodness, I, I'm older than everybody on the basketball court here, you know, that's playing in this game you're watching a pro game and then later you're watching football and basketball and you're like, wow, I'm older than all the coaches that are coaching this game. And it was a couple of Sundays ago, I was at mass and the priest was younger than me. And I'm just like, man, oh man, that's, I guess that's when you're old, all the jobs and things that you only thought old people did. You're older than those people. Well, um, like I say, you're only us. you're only old for a short time. <laughs> Kristen, Amy, you're next. Yeah. The news is next on the Voice of St. Louis KOX.